A welcome, a special welcome to you this morning. Of course, if, you're, if this is your first time or if you're new to uh, the, the uh, Northwest, a uh, very special welcome to you. And of course, a special welcome to you if uh, you're uh, streaming online right now and being a part of us. And we know that you, there's many people around the world. There is a chat box right beside the little window. If you want to sign in, you don't have to sign in, but if you could identify yourself, we'd love to speak with you. And of course, we've got some online pastors that would love to pray with you as well. So, God bless you, and we're so glad you're able to tune in this morning. <clears throat> Who's excited to get into the Word of God this morning? It's always good to get together and, and look into the Word of God. This morning, what we're doing is we're going to be continuing on with this series that we've been doing, Walking with God. And of course, we've got our last two weeks. This week and next week is going to be our last two weeks of Walking with God. And this morning, I want to actually talk about Walking with God the father of lies. Now, if that doesn't thrill you, I don't know what will. Because, no, you know, everybody gets up in the morning and says, you know, I'm in my quiet time this morning. I think I'm going to meditate on the father of lies. Said no one ever. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to look into uh, the father of lies because there's a reason why Jesus called Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the serpent, the great deceiver, whatever you want to call him, there's a reason why he called him the father of lies. Not just the teller of lies, not just the purveyor of liars, but he called them the father of lies. And by the way, I see some of you fanning yourself right now. It seems like we're having a little trouble with our air conditioning right now. It's not, it's not the air conditioning, it's the Holy Spirit. It's just so thick in the room right now. It's burning you up, I tell you. When we talk about the father of lies, the one thing that I've learned about the father of lies is that our, God, our walk with God himself is based on what we believe about the father. Why? Because your belief dictates your behavior. Your belief dictates your behavior. James 2 says, faith without works is, let's say again, our faith without works is, that means that your belief is connected to your behavior. So you can't say you believe something and then not act like it's true. Your belief and your behavior have to be connected to each other. They have to complement each other. So how then does the devil trip us up? Well, before we actually start looking at how the devil trips us up, I want to look at this first. I want to look at the fact that the father of that, that there are three fathers, and I'm trying to click my, my slides to the next slide, so if... Uh, Someone can click it to the next slide for me in the, uh, the technical room or the in-technical room. That would be great. Um, the father of lies. There are three fathers that we know that we have in our lives. The first one is the heavenly father. That is the, the heavenly father is the father that, um, uh, that Jesus taught us to actually pray for. So when he said, when the disciples said, how should we pray? He said, pray like this. Our father who is in heaven. Okay, so he's not just identifying the physical place of the Father, but he's identifying the actual person, the Father, which specific Father this is. The second Father, of course, we have is an earthly Father. And this earthly Father mandates much of what we believe about ourselves and much of what we believe about the world, but he also models how you walk with God. Because the way your father walked with God, I find the children will mimic the way the father goes in life. It's a very common thing to happen. So if you had a very dysfunctional father, it doesn't mean you can't walk with God. It just means that you are learning certain behaviors. You're learning how to respond to God in a completely different manner because your father didn't show you how to do it himself. 
And of course, the third father that we have in our life is uh, what we call a demonic father. Can you click the slide to the next uh, step for me, please? And the demonic father is the serpent. He is the devil who adopts the role of a father. Jesus recognized this because in John chapter 8, verses 44, he was speaking to the Pharisees. And when he's speaking to the Pharisees, he said, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's will, your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So there's two things he says right there. Number one, he is saying, I know when you started your fake fathering on earth. It was in the beginning when you were a murderer. Well, that talks to us about Eden. When Adam and Eve were tempted and fell as the Lucifer spoke to them, as the serpent spoke to them. And the second thing is, this is where Jesus has now identified him as a father, a father of lies. Not just a source of lies, but a father of lies. All right. <clears throat> so let's look at then this source. Let's look at from the beginning. What was Jesus talking about from the beginning? We're going to read from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. And it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Trust in me. Can you name that Disney movie? Anyone? No? Okay, thanks. Jungle Boo. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. That means he wasn't off somewhere else. He was right there watching the whole thing. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said, where are you? Now note this, God was walking in the garden. They were stationary having a conversation with the other father the father of lies, when they should have been walking with God the Father in the garden. What happens here is that the serpent interrupts Adam and Eve's ability to walk with the Father. How did the serpent interrupt Adam and Eve's walk with the Father? Well, he told them three different lies. Three different lies he told them. Now, let, let me be clear. 
There are many lies that we can believe about ourselves, about other people, about God, whatever it is. Does God really exist? Uh, am I worthy? Uh, am I good enough? I am incompetent. I'm incapable. I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy. You can believe many different lies about yourself. But every lie, I believe, goes back to these three fundamental lies that, they, that the serpent told them in one sentence. So here's the three lies. You ready for this? Let's look at this. Number one, the first lie that the serpent told them is this. The father is keeping good from you. The father is keeping good from you. In Genesis chapter three, verse four, he says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. You'll not die. This lie comes when you don't have everything that you want. Now, now let's look at this. God has designed us for good things. That's the way he's designed us. He's designed us to enjoy life. He said, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and all the things that you desire and you need will be added to you, right? We know that. God has designed us for these things. In fact, there was only two trees in the garden. He said, don't touch. He said, don't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I want to keep you away from the tree of eternity, right? There's two trees there. But he said, everything else you can have. Now, is this just symbolic trees or was it literal trees? We don't know. But these trees were access to power. They were access to good things. And there's such a desire that we have and we are designed to access and to desire good things in our lives, to desire power in our lives. That's the way God created us. So we need to take that into account because that's a fact for our life. But when we can't get the things that we desire, that's when I start, that's when I believe that we start believing a lie of, well, maybe he doesn't want good things for us. And so we start ending up with unfulfilled desires because we now can't get a hold of the good things that we actually want. But an unfulfilled desire creates two different things within us. The first one is this, impatience impatience. When you can't get what you want or what you think that you need, impatience can start filling your life because you have such a desire or a need to be fulfilled, to feel good, or to have peace. I need this car. I need a new car that works. I need a new kitchen. I need a job. I need a marriage. I need a spouse that I can trust. I, can, I need some children or I want. And we desire these things, but when we don't get them, it always ends up in a place where we start deciding, who should we blame for this? Because I desire it, and I think that God wants me to have it because he wants me to have good things. In fact, he's told me to go forth and multiply, but I can't have children. He's told me to be, go forth and be fruitful, but I can't get a good job and I can't hold it down. What is the problem that's going on here? I went through something like this similar not, not so long ago where I got this house and it was a piece of junk house. You know, you, know the, you know that type of house? I'm sure most of us have had a piece of junk house. And, and, and I had this piece of junk house that I bought in the, in the peak of the market. And, and so that's the house that God opened up the door for. And that's the house that he gave me. And we would fix, we would work on it. You know, we'd live in one room and then we start working on it and hopefully try, you know, start to build it into what we wanted to, to build it. But oftentimes what I'd do is I'd come home at night and I'd walk in the door and the house would start speaking to me. And then you start getting this door that would say, I'm on pain. 
It starts talking to you, right? Or you go over and you see, you see that there's a, there's a tap that is leaking and it's going, I'm tripping, you should fix me. Or, or something is happening with the garden is, a, is really not looking that pretty. And they're like, what do your neighbors think about you? Your house is a mess. You can't bring someone over to this place. When is this ever going to get fixed up? And the project starts speaking to you. And what you do is you start criticizing yourself or you start criticizing your spouse because they're not getting it done quick enough. Anyone want to put their hand up and point to their spouse? No? <laughs> oh, you're going to have to repent after. Okay. Or we eventually end up blaming God. We start telling him, what is up? You told me if I work hard, then I will be blessed. You've told me if I trust you, you'll be blessed. What is up with this? But sometimes our, our vision and our belief in what God is calling us to do is not the same as this timeline. We know that. The problem is, is when your spouse starts telling you that you're the problem, right? So if you're not criticizing yourself and you're not criticizing God, then your wife starts telling you, hey, you haven't painted that door yet. And then suddenly all the pressure comes on your shoulders, right? Can I hear an amen quietly? Amen, quietly. It's amazing when we go through this, we have this impatience that starts building up in our lives. And, and Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That means good things will come to us. We will have the strength to do that what we need to do because there's only one thing worse than actually waiting and that is wishing you had waited. There's only one thing worse than waiting, and that's wishing you had waited. That's running ahead of God or going and doing your own thing and then finding it all falling apart, investing in something and then losing the money, building something and then it all falls apart. Whatever it is, if you run ahead of God and you invest in it and lose the whole thing, it's worse than if you had just waited. Here's the second problem that I see that comes from this. An unfulfilled desire can birth impatience, which can also birth illness. I remember having a conversation with Kathy uh, Garcia about this a while ago, and it was during the, uh, the economic uh, uh, downturn that happened in 2008, and I asked her a question about, about what was happening in the ER, because she worked in the ER, and she had a really interesting answer, which I think goes along with the scripture that says, Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now, you could say, well, it's just because I feel down and I feel depressed. But remember, the Bible says that your body is connected to your soul. So whatever is happening in your spirit, whatever is happening in your soul is affecting your body too. And when she said, when the, all this economic downturn happened, she said that stomach problems spiked. That people started coming into the hospital with complaints for ulcers, with, with indigestion, with digestion problems, because nervousness or fear starts to birth this panic inside of our body. It creates ulcers. It creates sleep deprivation. It creates aches and pains in your body. It gives you twitches in your eye, and you can't keep up with it, and you start panicking. Your body's falling apart because there's fear inside your body. Illness is coming from this panic attack of this impatience that I feel like I need to get in control of things and I'm not keeping up with things when the fact is God is still in control. And you just don't actually end up trusting him. So if you're having these issues in your life, you have to trace this back all the way to this lie that says God's keeping something good from you. Number two, the second thing that the father that the father of lies tells us. He says that the father is keeping truth from us. Genesis 3, 4, and 5 says this, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. Your 
eyes will be open. This lie comes when you don't understand everything. In fact, in our language today, we will often say, my eyes have been opened. It basically means you see the truth. You see everything. You've never considered that your eyes are the things that seem to be the, the judges of truth or, or error. But your eyes, you think of your brain or your heart as the judge of truth or error. But your eyes, is, uh, this, this phrase is coming right from here. And it's saying that your eyes will be opened. I know the truth. Aha, I now see the truth. But this uncovered lie can birth two different things. Number one, the first one that it births is incensed anger. Incensed anger is when you have anger that blazes up. Now, in my, in my reading of a scripture, there's two types of anger. There's an anger of being found out, which is what happened with Cain and Abel. Cain got found out from God how he was not offering the sacrifice that he was commanded to give, and he was trying to get away with it, and then he got found out for it, and he got so angry against his brother that he killed his, his brother. But the anger that I want to talk about is the anger of feeling mistreated, the anger of injustice. I believe this is the type of anger that God stirs up again, uh, sorry, the, uh, the, the father of lies stirs up inside of us against the father. This is a selfish anger, and the selfish anger is not an anger about justice because it's not what the justice that you want it's more that you want a pound of flesh have you ever had that when you're angry against someone it's not that you just want them to change their ways but you want them to feel some pain because of what they've done wrong especially if they've done something wrong to you We'll often see this in marriage counseling where if you have a, a couple who are angry against each other, when they point out, when someone, one points out the, 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 the problem in the other person, you can look at the response and maybe the other person will go, listen, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to say that or didn't mean to do that. And if they, uh, the person who has just said, you did this wrong, if they don't receive it and say, I'm, okay, I'm, I forgive you. If they still continue on with their accusation, that's when you know it's no longer about justice, it's about a pound of flesh. I was talking to Crystal about this a couple of years ago and she noted something that was very interesting. She said, it's amazing how you can be very angry about an injustice in the past, but not actually translate that anger into a, an injustice that is going on now. You have an injustice from the past, but not an, uh, not an anger for an injustice that is happening now. What does that mean? Crystal works for a group called IGM where we fight human trafficking. But it's amazing how sometimes you can get people who are upset about the slavery that has happened in the past, but they're doing nothing about the slaves that exist in the world today. Listen, 30 million slaves exist in the world today, which is more than all the slavery that existed during the 300 years of transatlantic slavery. Let me make this clear before, you, uh, before anyone misconstrues what I'm saying. I'm not saying what happened was wrong. What I'm saying is what, what is, sorry, what I'm not saying is what happened wasn't wrong. What I'm saying is, what's happening now, we have to translate the anger that we have into fighting for justice for the people that are in slavery now. I can't change the past. I can ask and repent on behalf of my ancestors for what has happened in the past, but I can do nothing about it, but I can do something about it today. I can fight against injustice in this country, in other countries, for people who are truly in human trafficking. That's our job. That's our calling. If, I'm not saying don't be angry. The Bible says be angry and sin not. Just don't let it be an anger that turns you against your brothers, your sisters, your, 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 
that your country, your politicians, whatever it is, take the anger and fight for people who truly are in, in slavery today. This is something we have got to do as Christians. We can't just be sitting back and have an opinion about things. We've got to be about something. The second thing that it brings is an uncovered lie can birth incense anger. It also brings us isolation. Now, I looked this up and forgive me if this sounds a little bit nerdy, but isolation is where we break relationship with other people. The word incense comes from the word incense. So when you say that someone is incensed, that means they are angry. But you don't say they have incense. If you do say they have incense, then you get a picture of, oh, they've got lovely smoke and smell and their house is a lovely fragrance. Like that, that, that's what incense means to us. But incense means two things. It means to smoke and it means to drive out occupants. And when I read that, a little penny dropped in my head. That sometimes what happens is when we have this overdeveloped sense of justice and we have this incensed anger inside of us, we desire to smoke out the truth. I'm going to smoke out the truth in this situation. But what you do is you end up actually driving people away from you. Firstly, you maybe drive your workmates or your friends away from you and eventually you end up driving the ones that love you the most away from you. Why? Because the Bible says that living with an angry person is unbearable. It's unbearable. You can't afford to have this type of burning anger inside of you because it will end up putting you in isolation. Here's the third lie that I believe that the father of lies tells us. He says this, the father is keeping himself from you. The first one was the father is keeping something good from you. The second one was that the Father is keeping the truth from you. This one is the Father is keeping himself from you. This has to be the ultimate lie. This has to be the final lie that he tells us. Genesis 3, 4, and 5 says, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. This wasn't just a desire to have power. I believe it was the desire to know God more, to be closer to God. This lie comes when you feel hurt. All the devil's lies eventually lead us to believing that God doesn't actually love us. People will even say this, if you love me, then you would do this thing. We are equivocating a person's love by what they do or don't do based on what we're saying that they should do or don't do. This is the worst situation and condition we can do with God because he's already shown how much he loves us. We're literally telling him, you don't love me. This is especially true. Now listen, this is especially true when you don't get an answer to prayer. It's especially true when you desire something so much but you can't hear from God what you should do. You're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. A desire to have a child. And then you have to wait and wait. You ask and you ask and you don't get an answer. You desire to do something great in the city. You desire to have a proper marriage where you're not fighting all the time. You desire not to be worried about debt and bills all the time. You desire to do something significant in the kingdom of God, but you can't get the answer and you're having to wait and wait and wait. And the worst thing is when you don't get the answer, you believe he doesn't want to talk to you. Well, there's something wrong with me. Well, maybe he just doesn't want to speak to me. Unfelt love births this. Unfelt love or hurt can birth two different things. Number one, an investment in yourself alone. 
an investment in yourself alone. Now, let me, let, me, let, me, let me say this before I'm about to say what I'm saying. I'm not going to say that this is what everybody does, but this is something that I've noticed when people go through divorces or separations. When they go through divorces or separations, we often find that there is a gap in our heart and we need to fill it up with something else. So what you do is you go out and socialize more. And I tell you, what I've found is people who get divorced, well, I've never seen so many martinis on the beach posted on Facebook than, from, than what I've seen from a person who just went through a divorce or separation. Or even if it's just a breakup of a relationship of someone you were dating with. It's like, I have to show that I don't need that person. I don't need them. I can have fun by myself. But let me tell you, what it's really doing is not just showing them how much you don't need them anymore. It's actually trying to fill up a gap inside of yourself. I'm not saying if you've got a martini to post this afternoon, please go ahead and do that. I'm, I have no judgment against you. But, but if, it's, it's amazing how we often see patterns of how things happen. We fill ourselves up with those things and then we start filling ourselves up with what I call industrious overload. Forgive me because all preachers and pastors like to do alliteration and we like to fit things into what we really wanted to say, right? But what I'm saying is industrious overload is busyness. You just get busy. You have to fill in the time so your thoughts don't overtake you. I was watching a documentary this week on truckers because obviously I had half an hour to, to waste on uh, watching a trucker's life, right? And so they were, they were doing uh, this documentary on truckers and they were interviewing them and they, they found out that the, the percentage of broken relationships and divorces amongst truckers is actually quite high because they're not at home much and so they're away all the time. And so you would think that maybe that might be a good thing, maybe you think it's a bad thing, but the numbers and the statistics speak for themselves and what they did is they asked every one of them, they said, so now that you don't have a relationship in your life, do you, miss, do you miss having a partner? Do you miss love? And they, yeah, yeah, I do. I do miss you know, having someone. They said, what do you do about it? And every one of them said this, just stay busy. And that's something that I've done. Because the one time that Crystal and I had a, a, an argument, okay, one time, that's all, never any more than one. Okay, maybe a few more. Any time that we've ever had an argument in our lives, it's amazing how industrious you get. It's amazing how busy you get. And you're like, this needs cleaned. Okay, it gets cleaned, get that cleaned. I tell you, she just knew that I was right and she was wrong. And that thing has never been so clean in all its life, right? Because you're using all this energy and you're getting it out and you're scrubbing that sink and you're scrubbing that screen and there's no, there's no longer any coating on the sink anymore. It's really worn all the way through because you're scrubbing it so hard and it's like, I need something else to do and you go over and you start doing this and you're turning all this anger and bitterness into an energy where you're keeping busy, busy, busy to try and get your mind off of things. Because if you sit down and think about it, you'll not only get angrier, you'll sit down and think about it and it'll start to make you depressed. I can't afford to do that. I have to fill myself up with good things. So what we do is we either go away and try and do stuff or really what we're doing is making ourselves busy. We're not actually trying to do good things. We're making ourselves just busy. Satan works by being a liar. He is a liar. Whatever you're struggling with, he's a liar. His number one job is to make you trip up in your walk. Now note this, when you are walking with God, you're showing your children how to walk with God too. So if you're tripping up in a certain lie, you're showing your children that that's the way. 
Because if you go this way and you put one footprint there and one footprint here and one footprint there, your children are putting their feet in the exact same footprints as you're putting. Why? Because you're the one that's entrusted to lead them down the right path. So if you don't learn how to actually walk with God, your kids are going to repeat the same process. When all of this happened with, with the serpent and Adam and Eve, God came into town and he came walking through the garden because that's what he did. And he started shouting for his kids, hey, where are you? Where are you? And when he found them, he said, we, he said what are you doing? And well, we were hiding. Why, why are we hiding? And then he goes, did you do something? Like, yeah, we, we took from a tree. So he then had to give them the curses that belonged to them from this day forward, from that day forward. And you can think of it as prescriptive, meaning that he prescribed. He, here is the, here's the curse I'm going to give to you. I think he was describing the curse that would come upon their life because they did what was wrong. And when he was describing it to him, he gave, he gave uh, the, the, he listed the curse for Adam, he listed the curse for Eve, and then he started listing the curse for the serpent. Here's what it says. In Genesis 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Okay, wait a second. And between your offspring and hers. Wait, the serpent has offspring? Yes, he does, because he's a father, Remember? I'm going to put enmity between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. Now, every theologian knows this and believes this, that when he was saying he will crush your head, he was speaking prophetically of what would happen at the cross, that what Jesus did on the cross would crush the head of the serpent and would stop his power in our lives. But here's what always perturbed me, is why did God continue that sentence and say this, and you will strike his heel? Why? Would he say, you will strike his heel? Does that mean that he was going to be on a cross? Does that mean that he was going to get lashes on his back? What does it mean? So what I did is I looked into this and I looked up what the word heel means. Sorry, this is my nerdiness at work. But here's what the, heel, the word heel means. Heel in Hebrew means to seize by the heel, to circumvent as if tripping up the heels, to restrain as if holding by the heel. The word that God used was all with information about how the enemy would continue to try and trip us up. His goal is to try and trip and stop our walk with God. I believe this is true because when Jesus was on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, 46, he said, he looked up and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you, why have you lied to me? Why have you abandoned me? Why did you leave me alone? Why don't I have good things in my life? Why would Jesus say, why have you forsaken me? When he was the son of God, he chose to go on the cross. He knew what was going to happen. Why would he say that? Because every lie that the enemy has told you from the time he started to the end of time when God will close history, every lie went on his shoulders. Jesus felt it and he said, you've abandoned me, oh God. He felt every lie that you have ever experienced in your life. When I think back about how God, how I walked with my dad, I always used to notice that when I was walking my dad, you know when you're a small kid and your dad's footsteps are really big like that, right? But yours is like little tiny steps and you just try and keep up with them and you're like this and you're running along. One thing I noticed when I was a child, I always had my father's attention when I was walking with him. 
I could ask him anything I wanted. I could speak to him. I didn't have to be, he didn't have to be facing me. We didn't have to be sitting down. We didn't have to go out for coffee. I just had to go walk with him somewhere. And I could ask him whatever I wanted. I could speak with him about anything I wanted. Why? Because his only job was to walk and to speak to me. But the enemy's job is to try and trip you up on your walk. I'm going to actually ask for Junior to come up here. Junior, could you come up here? I want to show you something. Junior, what a fine looking guy you are, right? Okay, so you're going to be my son, all right? Come in. There we go. Ah, son, there we go, right? Okay, I want you to come over here. When your son walks with you, he walks with you, and at first God will take you by the hand, and he'll lead you by the hand and go, so watch this part here, and we're going to go over here, okay? And God guides you through things, because that's what God does when he first becomes your father, and he leads you in righteousness. He leads you in the right place. But then there's a point in your life where God will actually let go of your hand, because you're now at the place of maturity, and he's got Junior, I'm going to go that way, okay? I'm going that way. And God will walk the way that he wants to go and then maybe he'll pause and he'll stop and then maybe he'll continue on. And it's on Junior to keep walking with me. If he's the son and I'm the father, it's on him to keep walking with me. There's times where even God will not say anything, but it's still on him to pay attention to me because I'm the father, right? That's the way it works. We often demand that God has to keep talking and keep speaking and keep telling me which, which fruit I should take and which way I should go, when the fact is we should be mature enough to know that God will always speak at the right time because in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God makes everything beautiful in its time. He will lead us in the path of righteousness. But here's what the enemy does. Come here. Junior, I'm going to ask for your forgiveness later. Okay. I hope that comes out afterwards, right? Okay. So, imagine the devil has just tied you up. He's taken a hold of your heel. And what does it say? It says to seize by the heel, to circumvent as if tripping up the heels, to restrain as if holding back the heels, to hold you back. And I'm going to walk this way, and your job is to try and keep up with me, right? And I'm walking around, and he's getting a little stumble, and he's getting a distance between me because he doesn't feel like he's with me. There's a distance that's going on, and when I'm speeding up, I'm going over this way because sometimes the spirit does heater, and then he is having a problem walking, and then he's tripping over, and before you know it, he's flat on his face, and all he sees is his father in the distance, and he goes, my dad doesn't love me. He didn't come back. But it's not because your dad didn't love you. It's because you're getting tripped up by the lies that you believed about Father God. And that's dictating your behavior. You can't walk properly. You're tripping up. You're falling over. Listen, instead of looking at your house and saying, it's right, I am a loser. I can't fix those things in my house. I haven't kept up with everything. I can't create all the things that I want in my life. Instead of having a conversation about what you can't do, how about having a conversation with your father and say, Father, help me because you're a good God. And all the good things that I need, you will supply my needs, is what the Bible says. He supplies all our needs. He so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. Instead of looking at your car and saying, what a piece of junk, or looking at your house and saying, what a piece of junk, or looking at your spouse and saying, they're not good enough. How about you start speaking what God believes about them? God, you gave me this house. You gave me that car. You gave me this job. You gave me this spouse. Make them wonderful. 
Make them successful. Make them blessed. Make them walk with you. Let my children return to you, O God. For where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Do you want that in your life? Then you're going to have to change what you believe. Get out of the conversation of lies and get into the conversation with your father and start telling him how good he is. And then you'll start feeling loved by him. Then you'll start seeing that he always told you the truth all along. Let's all stand as we end this morning. Father, we want to thank you that you are a good God. We want to thank you, Father, that you treat us as sons and daughters of the Most High. You keep us close to you. You keep us strong. You don't let us get easily tripped up, but when we do get tripped up, you always come back for us, especially when we shout out. Lord, when we don't hear your voice, the easiest, the quickest, and the simplest way to hear your voice once again is to simply ask, what must I repent of? That has got to be the number one way to hear your voice once again. Because when the Holy Spirit is in us, which He is in us, He will instantly answer that question because He is the Spirit that convicts us. So Father, whatever we have got to repent of, I pray that You would show us what it is. And right now, I want You to ask inside of Yourself, what do I need to get forgiveness for? What do I need to repent of, Father? Where have I stepped off? Where have I tripped up? What lie have I believed? And whatever God shows you, whatever the Holy Spirit reveals in your heart, just quickly and simply repent of it. And I will guarantee you that you will be instantly back in the peace and the presence of God. Why? Because the cross of Christ has made the way for us. And no one comes to the Father but through Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to be filled with your spirit today, to be filled with your spirit of conviction, to be filled with your spirit of peace, to be overwhelmed by how good you are. Help us to see once again that you're a good God who wants good things, who will always tell us the truth. We can trust you because we love you. And Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would fill us up right now with your spirit to overflowing from the bottom of our feet to the top of our head, even though it's getting hot in here. We just pray, God, you would make it hotter inside of us. Burn that fire of righteous anger inside of us to fight for our brothers and sisters who are downtrodden. We ask in your precious son's name. And all God's people said, amen. May God bless you and keep you. Shake the hand of someone new. Thanks for coming this morning. Have a great day.